Welcome to season four. Welcome to season four of this most unbelievable podcast. We open season four with a confession. We don't have a plan. We have no idea what's going to show up. Our podcast and every season is our place of invention. It's where we go to think and learn with each other and to open dialogue with our listeners. We look forward to another season of brainstorming and surrendering to what unfolds. Thanks, y'all. Now on with the show. Good afternoon, Sherry. Oh, sorry. Let's start over. Who wants to go first? We have to rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Ready? Yep. Okay. Hang on a second. I got to get my strategy. All right. One. You're not doing it. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm doing it. Okay. Okay. Oh, you don't have my hand. It's okay. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Okay. Is it on three or on four? So it's it's one, two, three. Mm. Go. Okay. Okay. And just because it went, mm, I didn't show a thing. So that doesn't mean it's a rock because I have a fist. It could be anything. Ready? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. Mm. Oh. Ooh, tie. We have to go again. Okay. One, two, three. Mm. Tie. We have to go again. Interesting. Okay. One, <laughs> two, three. Mm. Oh, see. Ah. Yeah. Rock beat scissors. Indeed. You can start. So, listener, Sherry and I just started at the same time. We just played rock, paper, scissors to figure out who gets to, who's going first. Yeah, but then you just cheated and you went first by telling the listeners. I can cut that. What we just did. No, it's fine. The listeners should know (laughs) that you cheat. Yeah. (laughs) And you do not respect the rules of rock, paper, scissors. Well, everybody, I hope you liked today's podcast, right? We'll see you guys next week. (laughs) As we play rock, paper, scissors again. Yeah, next, what other, like, <laughs> terrible games for a podcast could we play? That yeah. would We'll play a win-loser-draw next week. Yeah, that worked pretty well, rock, paper, scissors, though. I, can't, I don't know if I could make an evening out of it, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, though, is um, no one ever beats me at rock, paper, scissors. Maybe um, we do two out of three. Yeah, so... Well, I was using my left hand, too. Yeah, me, too. Okay. I am left-handed. You're left-handed, though. So I was disadvantaged by my left hand. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let the record show. Yeah. Although... I was going southpaw on it today. It was your choice to do that, though. Uh, I guess. I did not say I request a left-handed duel. I guess. I guess. <laughs> what is this even? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, to the so, to the to the victor go the spoils right indeed so hey paul hey sherry <laughs> how you doing i'm great i just won at rock paper scissors yeah. and it was very satisfying won the right to kick us off here on this podcast right that's yeah. awesome what is your rock paper uh scissors strategy i go with like the chi of the universe i just sort of you know Marie Kondo it a little bit and let it let it show me what it wants to be mm, mm-hmm. which means I don't know if I have one I just sort of go with what sort of feels right at the time I guess is there a strategy well not for the first throw I don't think yeah once you get into the the down the line it's probabilistics come into it 
little psychology yeah. comes into it, I think. Right. So, because we we both threw, what did we throw first? Scissors. Scissors. Was it? Yeah. Did and we? Then we both. Did we? Yeah. Was, did we? Yeah. And then we both threw paper. Paper. And then I threw rock. I went back to scissor. Yeah. Because I figured yeah. she's not going to throw a rock. Who would do that? Well, yeah, I don't. Um... So what we need to do, uh, we need to have all of our listeners find someone and play rock, paper, scissors, do 10 goes of it. Yes. Write mm-hmm. down <laughs> what each person threw, submit them. Right. And we'll do a little investigation here on the psychology of rock, paper, scissors. But I think things have probably already been written about this, but it would be fun. You can take the boy out of the science lab, but you can't take the science yeah, lab like, out of the boy. Experiment here we can do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Well, that's clearly what I came here to talk to you yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> you this is a divergence know. from our usual content on this podcast. So <laughs> right. Well, we have been doing this the whole year, so now we need fresh content. Yeah, episode 53, right? Because 52 53. just came out uh, a couple of seconds ago. Yep, and so this one will be the first First one to come out in March of 2021, and our very first ever episode, March 2020. Yeah, and we're coming up on season five, I guess, as well. We're about to we're about to solstice here in a couple of weeks, so um, because we do our seasons by the solstice here. Well, oh, we do now. I guess I should say (laughs) it's it's like the math doesn't work out on that technically, but it's technically the equity. Equinox, right? I was yes, the equinox. The equinox. Is up. Yeah, yeah, equinox. Yeah. So, yeah. So as we spring usher equinox. into spring, are you ready f- for spring? Yes. <laughs> that was a very different. I'm ready for summer. Uh, yeah, I'm ready for spring. I'm ready for yeah. spring. We had a beautiful sunny day. Again, this is how Paul. This is how you know Paul loves you as he talks about the weather. We had a beautiful day. I mean, it was like almost like 55, sunny for the first time in ages. It's like I yeah. took out the recycling and I was like, I just basked Yeah. for a while. Yeah. It's funny. I had been in student conferences all day. So I was kind of like in that mode. And so then when we logged on, you were like, open the window. Yeah. I got the window cracked over here and everything. Yeah. I had day. it cracked for a while, but I had to close it so that you don't hear yeah. don't people What I was saying up. before, yeah. What I was saying before, before we started to record, though, it's like the cold, it's February. Fine, I can accept that. But it's like it has not been sunny in a long time. And it's 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 like, uh, I don't know, I'm not getting punchy, but it's like, it's getting, I'd like some light. You're not getting punchy? We literally just spent like the first like eight minutes of this podcast, which has only been going on six minutes. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> talking about rock, paper, scissors. Being a little punchy. Yeah. I think so, we're punchy. Um, yeah, it was a beautiful sunny day, so I was happy to see that. But yeah. you get what you get, so what are you going to do? Yeah. You take what the universe gives you. Yep. Mm. Yep. Yep. I wonder why that is, though. I mean, why do I, you know, why do cloudy days have to be? Yeah. And do sunny days have to be? Yay. You know? Um, there's certainly a serotonin brain chemistry light conversation to have, with like seasonal affective disorder and all this other kind of stuff. Right. Um, but I don't know. I sort of, sort of me pretty feels like I make a decision for how that day is going to go based on whether it's sunny or not. Well, I do think that like, so I'm reading this book called Wintering, um, which I think is very good. Um, but part of what it talks about is like the importance of like preparing for winter and mm-hmm. not, not pretending you're in summer when you're not. Um, 
And I've also read a book called Learning to Walk in the Dark. And mm. I and like so a lot of these texts mm. are starting to tell me um, or point to the ways that we really our culture kind of tells us these stories about what we're supposed to expect out of mm. winter. Um, and it, it kind of feels like a little bit of a chicken and egg qu- question. Like, do we feel sad because winter is dark or do we have we so spent so much time telling ourselves that that dark is bad that dark is depressing that dark is sad that we repeat it so much during the darkness that we can't see the beauty of the darkness yeah um it's like uh i you know i used to rant against this that whole kind of working for the weekend mentality Mm-hmm. You know, your Monday through Friday, nine to five job sucks. And then, yeah, it's the weekend. Woo. You know, so starting on Friday and going through, going through Sunday, you know, uh, everything is peachy. And then it's like kind of this convincing or accepting possibly without thinking about it too much. This tale of how we're supposed to relate to things around us. Right. Um, and very accepting ways because I mean it's great if people do that because then you don't actually have to you know think about it or right do any work <laughs> on investigating whether or not that's true it's right. like you know and and there certainly is an element of fitting in that goes mm-hmm. along with that you can fit in at work a lot better if you think you're miserable Monday through Friday and you're working for the weekend um, well because of course it's not true for everything but you know right well because what otherwise what are you going to talk about at the water cooler? at the water cooler yeah you're going to sit around the water cooler and talk about are what you going to do this like, weekend. Yeah, you can't walk in there and be like, hey, it's Monday. I love Mondays. I, I have a positive that. case of the Mondays. I used to do Nobody that. wants to hear that. I used to do that all the time. Yeah. God, I love Monday. And people are like, what? You know, and students this would say things I like, God, I hate you. you and things like, like that. Uh, and uh, I was I was maybe a little too chipper on Monday mornings. I was going to say, this is why I avoided you for 10 years. Yeah. This guy, this guy has too much pep. Yeah, I would walk into the into the into the office, you know, into the study room, and there'd be a bunch of you know half conscious college students, you know, trying to slug it by until until class started, trying to stay awake. Yeah. Like, hey, everybody, let's do some arm circles. What a beautiful day! And they're like, get out, get out, because I didn't participate in that. So yeah, I used to do that all the time. Right. I used to love Mondays. I still do. Yeah, Mondays. Still do. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, like, so ritualized to hate on Monday, right? Like, it is. Um, but... Well, it's an office space, right? So it's... Yep. Well, and it's also, like, Garfield, right? Yeah. 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 Um, Manic Monday. There's lots of, like, Monday hate. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... I think for, for a while, when I first got the job, right, like... um you know, Paul and I are faculty, as most people who listen to this podcast know. And a lot of people in our community don't teach on Fridays. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. And for a little while, I would try to compress, like, my work week into as few days and as few hours on campus as per- as possible. Yeah. yeah. And then I would just, like, grind it out. Like, I would, I would teach my classes back to back to back with no breaks. 
It's pumped the, through, yeah. Yeah, because the goal was to get off campus, right? Like, and I don't know why I did that. Like, supposedly, I love being in the classroom. So why would I do why that? Why would you do that? Um, and so then I eventually decided to start teaching uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes. And people were like, oh, why would you come to campus uh, on a right. Friday? And I, I learned that I, I kind of like going to my job. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's... Shh. Yeah, don't tell others. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, you did a lot to get that job. I mean, you have like these degrees and you went through this application. I mean, it's it's not easy to get a faculty job. i got to be honest. You know, there's hoops. Many, many hoops many, many to get hoops. through, to, to, to go through, to, to, to get there. It's not an easy job to get. Um, the stack of applications that one has to rise to the top of is high being on search committee. But um, yeah, but you, you actually do see that. You know, I used to see that all the time too. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the campus was notorious on Fridays for just being a ghost town. Yeah. You know, you saw more, you saw more staff than, than yeah. students walking around on campus back in the day. That's why I love teaching on Fridays though, because like the students haven't, um, the parking lot is very manageable yes. on Fridays. Um, so they roll roll in with their coffee because the line at Starbucks is short. short yeah. And, you know, they got a primo parking space and your class is the only class of the day. So it's not like they're studying for that math. I, I'm yeah. going to say math instead of biology. Yeah, right. To right, be right. kind to Pivot my quick. Yeah. colleague so. <laughs> here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I, um, the stories we tell ourselves about what a, what a chore it is to have to live our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the stories, uh, the, the similarity of the story that others have accepted that, um, Fridays are not to be, you don't teach on Fridays. What are you doing? Right. right. Did you not get the memo that we don't teach on Friday? What are you doing here? Um, and, uh, it's like, all right, cool. And then you'd, kind of go on thinking that wisdom has just sort of been imparted to you. You know, weekends, mm-hmm. good. Work, bad. Work on Friday, bad. Don't do Worse. it. Worse, yeah. Right? yeah. You're going to look weird. Um, and, you know, to show up at, a, at, your, at your job loving it on a Monday is pretty countercultural, mm-hmm. it seems. So how does one arrive at a countercultural uh, position? Like? Either... Uh, I don't know. Um, uh, d- do you have to know that it's countercultural to do it? Or can you really just do it from a place of ignorance? You know, can you accidentally find yourself being countercultural? Um, or is it something where we always have to have kind of a, a hero's journey where it's like we, we bust out of a paradigm to say, oh, I'm not going to do it this way any longer. And we put our foot down and, and try to do something a different way. Um, I suspect it's probably both. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I don't think we have to be, you know, uh, kind of walk out of the jungle, you know, after being raised by, you know, gorillas for 20 years to realize that there's other ways of doing things that might not be the same. Which kind of gorilla are we talking? Lowland. Lowland. The eastern, the western lowland gorilla. Um, I used to work at a zoo. I know all these gorillas. Um, yeah, I'm but, just wondering if you're, you know, talking about 
you know, gorilla warriors or oh no, the, like the, the like because I'm I'm thinking like you know the Jungle Book here where it's like you're raised by gorillas yeah, yeah. in the in the in the woods for 20 years, so you don't know about Fridays and Mondays and water cooler talk and all this stuff, and you really come at uh, a societal norm from a place of just complete ignorance. Not not bad ignorance, but you just haven't been in it so it's like you're, you're doing new stuff not because you're saying i'm going to do something different because i'm cool it's just not a lack of awareness but i think a lot of times this comes f- out of frustration that it doesn't have to be this way why am i choosing to be miserable here why right why what's what's so bad about teaching on friday what's so why do i you know what if i enjoy mondays um, well so i think yeah so i think what we're stumbling on is like this idea of like do we know that there's another option, right? Like right. it's performed so much and we're so used to that lens um, that can we see, can we even perceive another way? Like even with the question that I just asked you, right? Mm-hmm. So I asked you, which kind of gorilla are yeah. we talking about? I've been asking people that question for 10 years because I wrote my dissertation about gorilla rhetoric, right? Yeah. Um but I have never asked someone who has studied zoology. That yeah, right. Question. Is this the is this the so, UE gorilla or the O gorilla? Right. Yeah. So your answer like opened a whole new box in my head of like, oh, uh, there's a like, I don't know. It's funny actually, that we have to go back and define our terms when the word gorilla is used. That's right. Awesome. Like <laughs> you and I have very different frames of reference for like. <laughs> What gorilla could possibly mean? Because I'm over here. I was like, what do you mean? What kind of gorilla? There's only like two. It's like there's <laughs> highland and lowland, right? There's mountain gorillas and the other ones. Watch gorillas in the nest, right? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, that but is it, interesting. Yeah, it is. But um, But I think we get locked into what we think are, what we have to do, what, you know, the only possible narratives. Right are the ones that, you know, are available to us. Like, um, like the only options are, you know, to teach on Fridays or, and suffer or to bask in your Friday off. Like, like, yeah. And what are you doing on Friday when you're home anyway, not teaching? It's like, you're probably checking email and doing grading anyway. So yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Like, so it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, this speaks to where you and I kind of were, the kind of ideas we were bouncing around before we started recording today, this idea of mm-hmm. the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. Where sure. do our narratives come from? Sure. Yeah. And we hit on this a little bit last week uh, mm-hmm. where, as we were talking about supporting others as they kind of unlock creativity or they try to find their ways of doing things. And I think we were thinking about this kind of from a, how do you support people? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of framework, but there's a sort of a embodied personal story here too. Right. Um, how do we do this for ourselves? Yeah. I mean, how do we uncover? How do you start? You know, I, and it, it, again, it's like, how do you go from the place of not even knowing that you're doing it? To a place where, okay, yeah, that is something that I'm doing. Is that the way that I want to be in this world? Right. So it, it, I think it always probably, not always, I shouldn't say always, it often does come from a place of just like complete ignorance. Like, you know, I don't think people oftentimes even know that they're, they're participating in, in the a collective story 
that directly plugs into their own sense of well-being and happiness and suffering. Right. I don't think they even know that they do. Um, and then it's like something happens and all of a sudden it's like, what? And right. their mind's a little blown. Yeah. I mean, it's all like the, you know, the matrix, right? Like, yeah, right. Do you know you're living in the matrix or not? Like, um, and I think so much of it is um, like, you know, the question of like, well, where do you start? Like, I mean, goodness, goodness, right? Like there's so yeah. many, like, uh, part of the question is like, start what? What are we even talking about here? Right? Like, um, when we're thinking about personal concepts of narrative like we can start with even this the story we tell ourselves about who we are or what we are right like um i disclosed to you the shocking realization that i had recently that i Mm -hmm. have a brain Mm -hmm. because i've always identified as my brain but it turns out i'm a being with a brain you're being with a brain and it's doing brain things yeah yeah. it's doing brain things it's brain and like thinking Mm-hmm. and being creative and uh, throwing in some random stuff every once in a while just to hmm. see what happens. That's kind. You don't live in my brain <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah. Very <laughs> random thing, right? And uh, it, Very it, good really, and it relays information from other parts of the body and stuff like that, but all things considered, that's about it. Yeah. That's about it. We could say the same for your heart that pumps blood. We could say the same for your you know, lungs that, you know, bring in oxygen. You could say the same for your kidneys that, that, that filter stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of us really identify with our brains in a way that, like, we don't identify with other, like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't identify with my nose, right? Like, I am not my nose. I'm notorious in meditations for identifying with elbows, correct? Is yes, that- that's correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have elbows. Yeah. I, what? Yeah. It's such a weird thing, an elbow. It's like my arm bends. That's so weird. So weird. Um, weird. Well, and it's weird because uh, the elbows, yeah, I think you were the first meditation teacher I ever had mentioned an elbow. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I needed to expand my horizons. But it's so strange because we, we focus on knees, right? Like that's pretty normal. Yeah, right. And I think it's because right. a lot of times when you're in a meditation uh, position or pose or whatever, like your knees are, t- they're talking to you. Yeah. They're you don't have to bring awareness to them. They're already making you aware. <laughs> right. But them. the elbows are often sitting at rest. So you don't, for- you don't think about them, but they do a right. lot of work. They do a elbows. huge amount of work. They do a huge amount of work and uh, you have them and it's great. And mm-hmm. um, they, they do need stuff. They yeah. do need stuff. But yeah, you're, that, that was a, you, you did kind of couch that, um, into sort of a breakthrough as a breakthrough moment, mm-hmm. you know, because I think we do in our culture really, our culture being like Western culture and moreover academic culture on top of Western culture, um, the brain is, is sort of in, in thinking and logic and all that stuff that the brain does is really put into the fore of identity mm-hmm. and value in, in how we evaluate ourselves and each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like brain, your brain is the most important thing. And so everybody must go to college and work it as hard as possible in order for you to be able to participate in this society. I mean, how many, um, how many jobs require college degrees where 
when you read the description, it's like, you don't need a college degree to do this stuff. Right. You know, no part of the job is sitting around and thinking about stuff all day. But even if it was, you don't necessarily need a college degree to do that either. Because you have a brain, you're going to sit around and think about stuff all day anyway. <laughs> you know, so and what, 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 what advantage is a college degree bringing to this framework of this job or this position or this this thing that you're trying to do yet there it is so i mean clearly our yeah. society really strongly and heavily values um a framework that exercises thinking in the right. mind and this isn't necessarily like inherent to who we are as as people right because i saw this meme the other day on the internet and i forgot who posted it but it was like this thing that was like saying you know ancient philosophers right like they came up with ideas that we still we still repeat today. Yeah. Like hanging out in their bathtub, right? But then to put knowledge into the world today, you've got to study for 20 years. And even then no. when you put your, your theory out there in the world, you're like, I don't know. I could be Ooh. wrong. Here's all the homework I've done to prove that I'm right. Right? Um, so it's this weird thing where uh, like... Like, look at that difference, right? Like, how, um, like, what does that tell us about how we think of knowledge and how that has, you know, changed? Yeah, it's, it's, and it's so interesting. It's like an entire industry, a multi-billion dollar industry has been built up around that. Yeah. Um, That, as we know, right, hashtag COVID, you know, you can't have a podcast without saying COVID at least once these days, um, has threatened, right, is what do we do with all these college campuses now that, yeah. you know, what do we do with all these buildings, you know, all these high schools, all these elementary schools now that now that we we can't or, or, or won't use them as intended, what do we do with all these empty buildings, you know, that are the sort of the leftovers of what we used to find extraordinarily invaluable uh, a year ago and as part of our cultural identity as a as a as 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 people right and this primacy is like you must go to college to you know get you must get an education to participate in or even the you economy just... uh, as you know the economy yeah or you must be in a physical place yeah, learn, you must be in a right? physical place like, to learn stuff. And all of that is, really? Do we? Is it? Is it? You know? Yeah. Definitely. Um, it doesn't necessarily ch- change it, but it does invite questioning. Right, right. But I mean, it, it's such an interesting... <laughs> this is not like a, a very astute observation, but it's like, it's amazing the things we firmly believe Yeah. until the moment we don't. Yeah. I mean, so much so that you don't even know that you there are things that you believe. They're yeah. just they're the fabric of the universe is the fabric of the universe until you discover that it's not. Right. Yeah. And that was a fabric that um you didn't necessarily choose. It may have been foisted uh upon you from I mean, I had I I mean I my parents were both educators. I didn't stand a chance of thinking <laughs> a different way. I mean, it was like not going to college? I mean, that wasn't even... A, right. I mean, it's not that it wasn't an option. It's like, I didn't know that it was an, an, an option that could be even considered. It's like, it's it's what was done. 
Yeah. It's like I, I I had no experience with the alternative. Right. Uh, it's like, of, of course you have to. It's like you have to eat, you have to drink, you have to go to college. It's like it's not even a question. Yeah. You know, it, it raised by two teachers. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. So are there things like that you took for granted as being like just like the norm, the, the of course this is this, it goes this way that you at some point just decided to reject that like. Oh, yeah. Can you give an example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's, you know, when, when you think about it, there's tons. There's just scads. Um, what if I show up to work in jeans and a t-shirt? <laughs> it's a pair of tennis shoes. What's going right. to happen? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Well, and of course, of course, this a lot, of, a lot of other cultural stuff plays in it. I mean, there certainly is um, some some white privilege that plays into this. I'm sure male male, male, white, male white privilege that mm-hmm. plays into this, of course, right? Yeah. Um, but it's like the students didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. I mean, that being said, when I had a fancy event to go to, I did put a tie on. I mean, after all, uh, <laughs> um, we have to eat three times a day: huh. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, it's it sort of set, you know, breakfast and then we ate lunch and then we have dinner. Um, it's just what's done. We don't have to think about it. But don't you, know? you not really subscribe to breakfast food? I don't. Well, yeah. And, and so that's it. It's like, what what's what's something you're like, hey, wait a minute. Um, it's like this whole, uh, you know, I, I some usually it's like if I eat something, it's either oatmeal or leftovers. From the from the night before is usually what breakfast sort of entails, but there's not really breakfast food around the house. This whole notion of breakfast food, I, I disagree with, firmly, very firmly, um, that there's some things you can only eat before noon. It's uh, like it's been sold to you by Big Breakfast. It's been so, yeah, it's been sold to you by Big Breakfast, and you can see attempts of this that didn't really take on shampoo bottles. It's like lather, rinse, repeat. It's like they just want you to buy more shampoo by using it twice. You don't have to repeat, or you know, others, we've talked about this before. Um, my entire shower routine takes five minutes or less because I have a bar of soap. I am shaking my head at Paul Fitzgerald. Bar of soap. It's like, because it, I went through this phase. It's like, do we need all this stuff? Do I need all this stuff in these bottles? Do I need all? It's like, I'm going to see how much of this stuff I can get rid of. Do I need the shampoo, the conditioner, the blah, 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 the blah, 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 <clears throat> the shaving cream, the all the stuff. And it's like, it turns out a bar of Dr. Bronner's eucalyptus soap checks every single box. What do you wash your hair with? Soap, shaving, bar soap. The rest of it, I, soap. Bar half is bar soap. <laughs> I would like to suggest that that white male privilege is ringing true again. Yeah, it might. It might. Yeah, it might. <laughs> like, so I mean, but I mean, there are there are versions of this. I mean, this, the breakfast cereal one or the breakfast foods one kind of goes a different watch way. him retreat to his cereal. Yeah. Like, right. Oh no. Retreating to cereal. Um, yeah, I just know. Well, it's. I mean, but within that, like the shower routine. I mean, it is a good point. Like, um, you know, I, I grew up following the directions of said shampoo bottle. Right. I am a rule follower. Thank yeah. you. Um, and so what that meant is that my hair was always incredibly dry and you were because I was over washing it. Yeah. Um, and so a couple of years ago, my hairstylist was like, uh, yeah, you should only wash your hair like twice a week. And I was like, what? what? That's, you mean twice a day, right? Yeah, right. Um, 
And um, she's right. <laughs> she's really right. Yeah. Like I, I use conditioner on it, but if I used a eucalyptus bar of soap on this ginger mane every day, oh, Paul. I do have oh. less of a mane to, you, to, to you, manage over here. You do. I'll give you it's that. True. I'll give you that. But I mean, it goes beyond this, though. I mean, it, it's, I mean, that's sort of fun examples of this kind of stuff that anyone could explore, you know. Um, should you one day find yourself in, a, in an environment where you're like going somewhere for work, show up in jeans and a T-shirt. If you get fired, don't blame me, but see what happens. You know, you'll probably be fine. Um, it's sort of these these conventions that we participate in. And I think that's the heart of this is that we don't even necessarily know that we're participating in. Mm-hmm. And we really don't even think about it. It's just sort of what's done. And it, it might not even be on the radar is something that seems like something worth investigating but it goes beyond things like should i can i get away with wearing tennis shoes or not or what what happened if i ate tacos for breakfast instead of cocoa puffs right um it goes into other stuff too like um i'm supposed to be miserable on mondays or you know i'm not supposed to work on fridays things that even though i have no problem with it or i think mondays are great things that really do directly plug into our sense of well-being and happiness and how we want to carry ourselves well i mean throughout the day this is like the affordance of like uh awareness right or Mm -hmm. um you know for us a lot of our our meditation practice is really about noticing and being aware um and so it really does come to, like, for a lot of the stuff we do, um, what things do we not stop and ask why? Right? Like, yeah. a- applying a little curiosity to why why would a shampoo bottle want me to shampoo my hair twice? Right. Right? right. Um, or... Why do I insist upon getting up at 5.45 a.m.? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Like, I think it's really interesting um, to ask ourselves why we do the things we do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and why we have the perspectives that we do. This, I mean, this, this can go internally. This, Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this goes internally as you're alluding to. Um, Why do I not like this person Mm. why do i enjoy the things that i enjoy why do i um when i go to work why do i go this way and not that way or wherever where do we why do we go this way not that way Uh um and what do i notice that's going on inside of me as i as i go through this day um and i go through weeks and how can i bring awareness to that to maybe discovered that there's other ways of, of doing stuff that maybe I haven't anticipated. Mm-hmm. That is not just what I'm doing, but how I'm relating, how I'm relating to, to what I'm doing. So you, you said, um, you mentioned uh, to our wonderful listeners that you had this little bit of an awakening with this thing that you have a brain, mm-hmm. right? And it does thinky stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, has that changed anything for you? I mean, you're a living example of this in the recent... Yeah, I mean... So what's different now? That's a good question. Uh, how dare you ask me a question, Paul? I know. That's not how we do things. The listeners cannot see you, but Paul is now <laughs> smiling greatly. Um, I'm very proud of myself. Ooh, look what I did. I asked a question. A question. Um, 
it has, I think, it has, um, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate the change without being too, like, <laughs> tell all Sherry story. Right. Um, right. But I think, you know, there are a couple of things I would say about that. Like one, I know that I use the phrase, I think all the time. Hmm. Um, like if we were to do a, uh, qualitative study of the transcripts of our 53 podcasts, uh-huh. the number of times that I say the words, I think compared to the number of times you say, I think like, or I probably skyrocket. Right. Hmm. And so I think I'm hyper aware of, or I hyper identify with my own thinking Uh and what I know or what I'm coming to really understand is that, uh, sometimes brains just do weird stuff. That's the truth. And so if you identify with your brain, then when your brain does weird stuff, then you think you are broken. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. So, so I'm a hyper ruminator. Um, I'm an overthinker, right? Like those sentences are not the way I want to talk about myself. Right? Mm. So instead of saying I'm an overthinker, I want to be able to say I have a brain that tends to go on loop. And that little maneuver, that saying, I have a brain that does this thing versus I am, by definition, a problem. Because mm. mm. um, if, you, if you were your brain, you would be. Yeah. You know, like, but it's like, good news. You're not. No, my brain can get on loop. It's that non-identification word that you used. Right? Because yeah. um, now, I mean, the with, with that framework, it's like the, the judgment is off. It's like, no. You have a brain and it does weird stuff just like my arm does. Mm-hmm. It bends. And that's curious. curious. Um, sometimes our brain loops on stuff. Oh, that's curious. Yeah. Thank God I'm not that. Because, you know, it's just doing what brains do. Yeah. A little bit. But it's not necessarily who we are. It's something that's in the car with us as we drive down the road. But I think that realization might mean that it, it gets a seat, but it doesn't get to drive. Right. Especially certain parts of the brain, right? Like, you get your amygdala fired up. Right. You don't want that thing driving. It's going to be a ride. It's going to be a ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like fear and loathing in Las Vegas at that point. You right. Know, so. Yeah. Um, and so that's the other thing I know is that that part of my brain can get really fired up. Um, and when it does, uh, I should really just sit quietly for mm-hmm. a minute. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if I listen to that part of my brain, What's it's, gonna happen? it's not a good scene. Um, what that usually means is about two hours later, I have to send apologies. <laughs> like, hey, I know it's really hard to work with. Yeah. Uh, you should try being inside. That's fun. Yeah, yeah it's fun stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I have a brain and it's tricky. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's really freeing in a way, um, to not have to over identify with that. 
yeah, and you get to it. It's it it can cause this other little shift uh, as well. I think where you're no longer reacting, you you actually have some space to do some responding mm-hmm. versus reacting. So it's not necessarily you know information goes in, action immediately comes out reflexively. You know, realizing it's like okay, um, I'm going to take this information. I'm going to give it to my brain. Mm-hmm. It's going to do some stuff with it. It will let me know, and I will choose amongst options that it gives me. Right. Um, and which is the which is the best one with hopefully a kind heart and consideration and compassion for all things, and a little loving kindness never hurts, <sighs> and maybe some equanimity. Uh, all four Vaharas in one. Um, um, yeah. And, yeah. and so I mean, there that that non identification sort of lets you do that. If if you're identified with your brain, you don't have that option. Mm-hmm. You're you're stuck with what the output is on first pass. Right. Yeah. Well, and then it helps you to also um, draw upon the other parts of the body that you have. Oh, right. 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 Um, so the other thing that happens there is like, okay, so my brain has somehow convinced my heart that we are being chased by cheetahs. <laughs> cool. Cool. So. What other part of the body could help us out here and convince us that we're not? Oh, I have these eyeballs. These eyeballs, Um, These eyes can look around and see, oh, you're in your bedroom in Mm. Northern Virginia, uh, where cheetahs are not native to your bedroom. they're not. Um, Yeah, and so just looking around and being like, yep, this room might be a little mundane, Mm. but there's not a cheetah in sight. And so... I have a brain. I also have some eyes. They could do some other work. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Very neat. Non-identification. How does one cultivate that? So how did this How did this happen? Did it, it's like you woke up and it's like, wow, I have a brain. That's cool. It happened during meditation, I guess. Um, you know what it was? It was during a body scan. Mm. Um, I was thinking about like when I do body scans, um, a lot of times I start my body scan and my neck. Oh, interesting. Because I feel a lot of like that. My neck talks to me uh, because I spend a lot of time writing. And so hunched over and start there. Not bad. Yeah. yeah so start I start there. there. Yeah. Why and not? then, and then I was thinking, you know, like I know I also hold a lot of tension in my jaw. So I'm like, kind of like thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe like what's going on with my face. Why don't I spend time thinking about my face during a body scan? And then I was like, what else don't I think about during a body scan mm. that I have? Like, um, and then I was like, hair. And then I was like, uh, you have a brain. brain. And it's like, you know, like, what's the hair covering up? Mm. This, you know, this. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, there are times where, especially during like yoga and stuff, like there would be practices where it would really focus on like the lungs and the heart and, um, you know, maybe even the kidneys, right? Right. And so it's like, right. why why do we get really aware of these and definitely the stomach, right, during like a yoga practice? So why are we so in tune with those body parts, but we don't say, also, you have a brain. Yeah, everything below the neck gets treatment in a yoga class above the above the above the neck. Mm-hmm. Maybe gets a little bit of a short shrift, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And- yeah, it's really interesting. So, did you know, Paul, you also have a brain? I did. I did know that. And, um, past tense? 
I, I don't know when I discovered that. I don't know. I don't know if I can pin it down to a mm-hmm. what. Um, I know that it happened in a similar way. I mean, somebody can tell you something a thousand times and it's like, yeah, I know. It's cool. It's cool. But then you're like, oh, that's what that is. Um, well, I mean, you're mean. like a biologist. You really know. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the 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 language my brain uses is when it's whispering in my ear is the same language that I'm comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. it's a direct path from brain to mouth. <laughs> you know, so it's like, that's a pretty well lubricated pathway right there. So it's, and I think it, our brain is so close to our sense organs. And, you know, um, my brain uses a lot of the same words and ways of saying things that I do. It feels like it's me, mm-hmm. you know, and it feels like a lot like what it says is me. It is not. It makes all, all kinds of shit that <laughs> is, it's like, I know, I know that that is not true. I know it's not. So just, you know what? Great. Thanks. I know that's not true. So I appreciate it. Mm, yeah. Tacos, you know, <laughs> on to something else. Um, and that's the non-identification coming in again, right? Yeah. Once, once one realizes that, but it's a, that understanding doesn't come in there. It's like, it's, it's one of those, you feel it in your gut. It's like, oh, that changes everything, doesn't it? It's this tiny little switch that, that happens, this tiny little f- switch that gets flipped. It's like that changes literally everything about, mm-hmm. about all of this. And that sort of liberates us to get back to what we were talking about before to do this investigation. Why do I do these things that I do? Why do I relate to this situation in that way? What are the beliefs that I think that, that I've accepted that might be limiting me and what mm-hmm. I think I can do and what I think the rules are and what I just hope the rules are because those are the ones that I like. Right. Um, so all of these things, you know, can go unheeded and unconsidered for the entirety of a life without even knowing that they're not, the fabric in which we're, we're living in. But once you see them, they're very hard to unsee. Mm-hmm. So what do you think helps with the seeing? Um, how do you, you mean like, how do you, how do you, how do you get there? How do you? Yeah. How do you come to know what the narratives are? Right? Like you, you were saying, um, yeah, you know, you know your brain says things that's like, that's not true. Other sources of information mm, come mm-hmm. come in, right? You you mentioned this. It's like I think my body disagrees with what my brain is saying right now, or I think my um, my heart disagrees with what um, with with what is being said right now, and the or the preponderance of pre existing information that I have perceived. Yeah. Is, yeah. is in not in agreement with what this story currently is coming out of my cerebral cortex. It's like, I don't think that's true. You know what often helps me is to, to take that narrative, whatever it is, and to bring it out of my mouth, right? Like, there's something about, like, when, for some reason, when it's in the head, it sounds very believable. Yeah, it seems really believable. Right. But then, like, this is why, and I think I do this to you all the time where I'm like, I'm just going to say this out loud. Um, I do it to my husband as well. Because, like, sometimes I'll be on loop with some sort of narrative. 
And then by saying it out loud when it's out there, or if I type it in, in like a text or something, and you have to see it, like once you say it out loud, it's amazing how when the light comes to it, you realize, oh yeah, no, that's not real. That's not real. That's, no. That sounds ridiculous. It's no realer than any of the other wonky stuff that, you know, that, that just sort of goes through. And, you know, to say it's wonky, it's not like disrespectful. It's like, no, I mean, my brain comes up with all sorts of crazy shit that it's right. like, no, it's ridiculous. Um, what? That's, I mean, yeah. it thinks, it thinks eating Pringles in the car is a good idea. I mean, it, <laughs> how reliable is this thing that we've given over our identity to, you know, not very, not very. Yeah. The cup I mean, holders ha- hold that can perfectly. I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to. If you want to look for evidence of that, you know, just watch the evening news and you can see all all the good that comes out of, you know, putting our brain at the fore of our identity. It's like more harm comes out of it than, than good. Um, you can think complex stuff and you can do neat stuff, but you can also build nuclear bombs with it. And you can, mm-hmm. you know, do all kinds of dumb stuff. You can mm-hmm. be racist with it. You can be, you know, uh, abusive with it. You can use it as a weapon. You can You can do all kinds of horrible things with yeah. it. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you let it. Right. Um, and so other, other, other things can be placed on the scales to balance that out. And I think a lot of those other things, I'm just going to come out and say it, Sherry. Are you ready? Um, mm-hmm. I think some of these other things, these other sources of information have been um, willfully neglected to be developed in a lot of people mm-hmm. in, in our culture. Um, to, at the expense of putting the brain as the most important thing that, that defines who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we've boiled you down to a number, college students, between zero and four. Mm-hmm. Right? But if you take some AP or IB classes, you can get up to like a 4.6 or something like that. But only if you really push your brain hard can you be so valuable as to get a number higher than four? And so we're going to make all sorts of socio culture, economic decisions based on what that number is. Uh-huh. So do everything you can to make sure that number is high because that number is who you are. That is uh, some toxic ass shit right there. Indeed. Well, and one of the things that's interesting, like thinking about the way that we put this precedence on the on the brain over things like the heart, you know, we've been spending our time really thinking about heart practices as yeah. we're doing the Brahma Vihara workshop. And it's amazing to me how much those practices run against the cultural norms of brain practice. Yeah, right? I think that's the least, I think it's the least developed one. Yeah. Well, by far. I mean, you yeah. want to, you want to work on the body, you go to the gym. If you want to work at the mind, you go to school. If you want to work at the heart, you, um, uh, you, uh, yeah. uh, what, what does it even look like? Right. How do you, how do I work out my heart? Take blood pressure medicine. Yeah, I know. Right? So like, it's like, I don't know, go for yeah. a jog. It's like, what do we, what do we mean when we say heart or the heart practices? What do we even mean by that? But that's, I mean, that's what um, I think the Brahma Viharas are, right? But yeah, yeah, but, yeah absolutely. That's the workout regimen, by the way. That's the Zumba. Yeah, that's it. But, um, it's just like with any other workout, right? Like you're going for a run and your brain is like, you should stop this. This is terrible, right? Like, um, yeah. I think, you know, like meta, for example, like yeah. in a meta practice, you know, the brain is like, uh, loving kindness. Why? Why? What's in it for me? Yeah. Why? What's mm, in it for nope. me? 
And then, like, compassion? Mm, do they deserve it? I don't know. Maybe they earn that suffering. Maybe they earn it. Maybe they, they, get, they get what's coming to them. Right. Joy? Oh, you look silly. Jealousy. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like um, the brain can come up with really complicated, really sophisticated reasons. Well, it will why. try to protect itself from being marginalized a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it'll, it'll try to protect itself from being threatened with such extraordinarily powerful things like your heart. Yeah. Because well, be- in, in, con- in a contest, it doesn't stand a chance. Well, because to really lean into something like loving kindness, the brain has to give something up. Yeah. 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 It does. It does. So what do you um, think that is? Uh, for the brain, I mean, with Meta, I think it's, the brain is a calculator. It's, it's an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, everything has a worth and a value. Um, it's a return on investment. Yeah. The way I was thinking about this when we were doing the, the workshop a couple of weeks ago, part on, on Meta, mm-hmm. um, was what you lose sort of is the is the right to negotiate. Yeah. That's what you give up. You, you, if, if you take on a meta, you, you, you relinquish the right and the ability to negotiate for love, loving kindness mm-hmm. with all of these. It's yeah. like, what would happen if I gave it loving kindness away for free and ask for nothing in return? It's like, you've lost all negotiating power. Why would you do that? My God, that's the most valuable thing. Why would you give that away for free? Certainly has a higher value than that. What are they going to do with it? What if they don't get it back? You know, you know, you can actually use this to get something out of them if you really wanted to, you know, and that's, that's the, the loop the brain will immediately go into trying to say, you're the worst negotiator in history. Right. You well, know, and- it's like having a gold mine where you're digging gold and you're getting it and you're just like giving it away mm-hmm. to people who, who knows what they're going to do with it. And it's like, yep, that's meta. Well, and the other the other side of that is, I think, um, accepting love that is free. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. that there's a lot of cultural tradition that teaches us that love has a cost. It's suspicion arises. Yeah. Um, because we, we really believe nothing in life is free. Right. We're told like that. that. We're told that. We believe it. And so then it becomes, well, what do I do to earn love? It's like kid down the street, you know, shovels your your driveway when it snows and you're like, you're running out there with a 20 trying to like, here you go, here you go. Or I know you did a good thing and I need to pay you for that because um, a lot, and that's not because it's like this fairness. And a lot of times it's not because it's like you want to do something nice for this kid. A lot of time it, it seems to be because people are profoundly uncomfortable with receiving acts of unnegotiated, freely given kindness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Profoundly uncomfortable is, with it. Yeah. I think this is one of the reasons that I personally am much more comfortable being in a caretaker role than I am allowing someone to support me. Like, yeah. because I'm earning my keep. Yeah, don't if, be nice to me because if, if you are, then I'm going to have to owe you something and I don't want to be in debt to you. 
Right. Right. Yeah. And it's tricky. Right. It's super tricky. Um, even with like, um, as Paul knows, my love language allegedly is words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so words of affirmation mean a lot to me. Uh, but then when I receive them, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like I freeze uh, because I'm like, uh, how dare you give me what I want? Yeah. I don't know how to receive it. Um, and then, and now I feel a debt to you. Yeah, right, right. And it's like, oh, now I have to refer it back. And, now, and I, have, I have to uphold the standard. And then I have to, oh, and it's, you know, it's like, both both of those sides are tricky. It's like, why can't you just give love freely? And then it's like, why can't you just accept love freely? I mean, it it it's hard to wrap your head around it. It, yeah. it doesn't seem like it's something that, and, and so talking about countercultural things, this is like number one on the on the on the on the list, on the price of right. Right? What is the most unbelievable thing that you could possibly imagine? It's that love and kindness can be free, mm-hmm. and you don't have to earn it, and it doesn't have to be earned for you to give it, and it's something that your heart can do, if your brain can get out of the damn way, mm-hmm. and the benefits um, of that are. Well, this is one of the four immeasurables. The benefits are immeasurable, you know, and the benefit being, well, you know, you get to walk around this earth with love in your heart for everyone. That seems okay. Not Um, the worst. Yeah. You're not living your life, you know, looking for a transactional way of being with who deserves it and who doesn't. You're not judging everybody all the time. If you love everybody, you don't have to judge. There's mm-hmm. nothing to be gained. I mean, there's no transaction to be had. There's nothing to be earned. Yeah. You know, you don't have to spend, that doesn't mean you have to spend your time with them. You know, people right. can earn that. And it certainly doesn't mean you have to take abuse from people. But that yeah. mean doesn't mean that you don't love them nonetheless. So it's like there, there's nothing to be lost here. Um, and you get the, that, so that, that love in your heart that is so elusive is yours to be taken. You just have to let go of transactionality so your hand can be open. So you can take a hold of it. Why do you think we're so comfortable with the idea of transaction? With negotiation, emotional negotiation, sort of? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, you could hand wave and say capitalism. but Yeah, yeah. I'm easy. trying not to, cause, but I could. It's like capitalism, economics, right? Supply Patriarchy. And demand. Right? Patriarchy, yeah. Um, democracy. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, any name a economy or a political movement that's why right know, uh any of them they're all the same <laughs> with regards to this things are transactional yeah um and uh i don't know um i don't know yeah maybe it was you know share your cookie with this person because it's a good thing to do and then say thank you when they do it i mean it, it's sort of set up as um what looks like it's being done but might not actually be done i don't know um i'm just spitballing here i'm not i'm not sure how that gets in um i swear it's taught though yeah well i mean it is like like it's i mean even that transaction you just described right like that's that's learning your manners right like what do we say we say thank you we say thank you and so you will do it um well this is like getting you know when when 
Johnny beats up Billy, you know, or something like that, or something happened. And it's like, okay, say you're sorry. Say you're so- oh, I'm sorry. Okay, no, say you're forgiven. Okay, I forgive you. It's like none of that is real or true or anything because it's not coming from the heart. It's coming from your head. Right. It's um, the performance. And that's not what your brain does, right? Yeah. It's a different, your brain does other stuff. I might as well be telling your heart to do calculus. I might as well tell your body to, you know, I don't know, read a book. It's, it's, it's not what it, it, it's not what it does. You know, these different parts of us sort of have different, um, I don't know, have different skills attributed to them. And what we call these heart practices, loving kindness and compassion and forgiveness and gratitude and joy and equanimity and all this all, all mm-hmm. these things can be practiced by the heart and the heart pretty much alone. And, you know, the brain can fake it, but that's what it's doing. And everybody knows it. Yeah. Everybody knows it's what's faking it, it. It's so interesting to me because, like, I feel like on this podcast, um, I feel like I've drank the Kool-Aid and I'm all in for the heart practices. And it's so interesting to me just to think about, like, how far this has come for both of us in some ways compared to like last summer when we were starting to talk about like the rates of things and how, you know, the mind, the heart and the body come to things differently. You and I both were like, Oh, let's not start with the heart. Like the heart's kind of weird. Like you were like body. And I was like mind. And we were like heart. And here we are like a year later, I think, really entrenched in the heart practices yeah Isn't yeah that interesting and yeah i agree mm-hmm. i agree and this is what i was you know i either said this or i thought off about saying it uh a little while ago right uh in this podcast it's like i don't know thinking i'm kind of done with it for a while um i'm working on some other stuff and you know i i spent a lot of years as the letters after my name and so have you Right, mm-hmm. uh, doing brain work. A lot of time doing brain work. Um, I got a bowling trophy and a half marathon medallion. You know, I did some body stuff a little bit. Right? I've never been a gymnast or, you know, I'm not a gym rat or anything like that. You know, um, I attempt with varying degrees of success to keep my body moving a little bit as best I can, you know, that's not where I jumping. put my bread and butter, you know, but it's, 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 it's something that's there, you know, the heart is neglected. And I think the heart is chronically neglected in our culture in, in the West. And um, again, at the expense of other stuff. I mean, what if we, rather than spending seven or eight hours a day working our brains, spent seven or eight hours a day working our hearts? Mm. You know, what if the whole thing was flipped and this whole notion of like school, elementary school, middle school, high school was heart based and not brain based or even better. What if it was both Uh like four hours of one and four hours of the other? Well, and what? And of course, including recess. Right. Well, and what and if kickball heart... and kickball and you know all that kind of fun right? Fun well, the heart is involved in kickball. Oh yeah, have you yeah, know. totally. Um, yeah, and I mean, what if the heart wasn't relegated to the mushy stuff that the humanities did, or Hallmark, or right. Valentine's Day? You know, yeah. 
All the thing does is break, you know, I can just push that away and not have to worry about it. Well, and that, so I think that that's, that's such an interesting point too. Like when we do acknowledge the heart in our culture, it's only because we're afraid it's going to break Yeah. or in the aftermath of it having broken. But the heart can do a lot more than just break. It can. It can. It can fill up. Mm-hmm. It can uh, reduce pain and suffering in ourselves and others. Um, it can clear the decks of expectation and resentment and um, false obligation. It mm-hmm. can. Uh, it can teach us self acceptance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it can. It can contribute to that. Um, it can help us make better decisions on what the right things to do are. Um, it can it can do all kinds of things. It mm-hmm. can strengthen the bonds between individuals in a community, mm-hmm. right? Um, it can um, plug into our everyday experiences of what is easy and what is hard and what is good and what is worth doing. Mm-hmm. And and what are good decisions and what are bad decisions? Um, we rarely make decisions with our brains anyway. You know, oftentimes we'll do the math with our brains, but the decision gets deferred to the body with the you know what is it, what do you do in your gut? Because ultimately, when it comes down to yes or no, oftentimes that's not a neurological thing. That's like okay, this feels like the right thing to do though. You know, right. based on whatever math is going on in other places that are not your brain, and what your brain does is one source of information. Oh, if only other things were treated the same way. Well, and that's the thing about you know like with with rhetoric and how we try to convince other people of things and how we, how we just talk to other people, you know, Aristotle told us there were three rhetorical appeals, right? Mm. Um, one of them is an appeal to the heart and that's the one that actually wins the appeal to the yeah. brain. The brain's tricky. We are not actually as logical as we think we are. No, 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 no. It feels like perf- everything feels perfectly logical at the time they're com- they come up with, <laughs> they're, they're derived, but it's like upon further investigation, 98% of them like collapse under their own weight under five seconds. Oh yeah. They're, Another 1% they're... is just a dumbass idea. Right. <laughs> one percent you know you know deserves further consideration Mm -hmm. you know yeah but i mean we're that's the thing about how much stake we put in the 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 brain because um the things we think are true yeah like oh oh we can fool ourselves i say unbelievable stuff no it's very believable stuff you know and it's it's taught to be believable i think yeah it's very strange it's very strange Well, because we can, we can think ourselves into anything. Yeah, so I've been on this rant lately, uh, a little bit, where you know, in workplace environments are trying to push people to take more breaks during the day and to bring some balance to their eyes and to their brains and to stress and anxiety and things like that. And a lot of times, it just sort of comes across as being something to add to our our work day, something else to put on the calendar. And this is not new. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have been talking about this for decades. You know. Um, Especially with with uh, women and, and who are mothers, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to balance work life with kids and the expectations of both, and and the responsibility to both is an unbelievably complicated um, 
I mean, I think it's hard and it's easy for me considering the life choices that I've made. It's, it's like, I don't have any of that shit. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh boy, it's still tough, you know? And, and I, I've, I still kind of think it's like adding something to the calendar isn't the way to go. You know, you got to swap something out. Um, and when, when I'm talking about bringing some balance to, to our day and to our approach, it's like, we got to put something else on the plate. Um, but it can't be more of the same or just taking something else off and leaving it vacant because the other stuff will spread out and take over that space. Mm-hmm. It's got to be you, you take something off your plate and you put some hard stuff on. And I totally believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to, to corporate environments credit, a lot of times they do say it's like, hey, go take a walk. At least it's, it's swapping out something mental for something physical. Right. Some body thing. It's like, I, I, cool. I'm behind that. That's fine. But the hard stuff still always just comes in last. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's some organizations, many businesses do that where they do um, day of service mm-hmm. stuff where it's like take a day and, you know, go volunteer with something that you love, uh, you know, a shelter or whatever, Habitat for Humanity. And it's like, now we're talking. Now we're well, talking. So One day a year we get to do that. Right. Well, <laughs> we get to do that, you know, do I a think month. Wh- do one a of month. the other issues with it, right, like we we don't necessarily know a lot about what what actually fills or taps into people's hearts in the like right so we we have all these theories of like learning science right like yeah. um you know like as much as i roll my eyes at it like the idea of like learning styles and things like that like what do we know about heart styles right like so the day of service that might work for some hearts. Is is that gonna is that gonna be good heart yeah, work? Yeah, I don't for know. Everyone? Yeah, I'm just spitballing. You know, yeah, it's no, like it's I the know. only thing I can think of that sort of looks like it. Right, but so I think it speaks to just how unexplored, like, yeah, yeah, and and I think it's partially because a lot of people, especially within the work world and the corporate world, like the heart stuff is the stuff you do on your own time. Yeah, right, 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 right. like, um. So wouldn't that be interesting if we encourage the exploration of the heart? Yeah, it would be. And I think like the whole learning learning preference thing, I think originally that was born out of just a lot of observations that get made as people go through an educational framework, you know, mm-hmm. middle school, high school, into college, and sort of what do we sort of see and why do some people do better than others, depending on how they're doing it? And it's, it all makes sense. I really think in, in our culture, it's like heart work stops the day you walk into kindergarten. Mm-hmm. It comes to a screeching halt. And it's like intellectually, you know, we're all doing all right. I mean, over overworked, you know, over worked out, overdeveloped in many, many ways. Um, and But, you know, we're, when it comes to our heart practices and, and how to live from your heart, we've stopped at the age of six. Well, yeah, because... Because following your heart is not conducive to the conformity necessary for for schooling. Yeah, so heart practices include, but are not limited to, loving Monday. Mm-hmm. Maybe teaching on Friday isn't that bad. Huh, you know what? I'm going to wear a t-shirt and see what happens. Yes, I'm comfortable. That's awesome. I'm going to wear more comfortable shoes. You know, um, these are all acts of self-compassion. They're acts of joy. They're acts of... Uh, kindness to ourselves and to, it's like yeah what is what of what you do can be framed into a hard practice um, right 
And and what are you doing you that doing... is actively against what your heart is telling you? Yeah. Right? There's like There's both. Yeah. Because I think that that's been part of my own journey in the last, like, five years or so is, like, stopping and asking myself, what am I doing because it looked like the tra- the trajectory in front of me? Yeah. And what am I doing that actually taps into what my heart has always told me is part yeah. of who I am, yeah. right? Like, um, fun fact, my heart has never told me to write an academic article. Yeah. Never. Not once. It has is, it is actually encouraged me not to on occasion. Right, yeah. Uh, pretty <laughs> not only active. has it, you know, not encouraged me, it's like opposed. Yeah, I think my heart shrinks when I'm doing academic writing, actually. I have to make it know. sort of sit down and keep its mouth shut for a little while until mm-hmm. until that's done. I felt that way before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. so for sure. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, maybe, I, well, it's it's such an interesting thing. Like, how what would the world look like if people were doing more heart practices and if people not just follow your heart business, but really living from the heart first. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to imagine. I mean, there must be some studies out there that look at different countries or nations or something like that or cultures and say, how are they different than, I mean, we hear Bhutan is so awesome. Maybe they do, maybe they're doing something, you know, that, that we're not like, well, you pretty much guarantee they are, they are, but um, if that's true, we're, right. we're a Denmark. They always yeah. are pretty highly in the happiness scales. They're good at the cozy. Yeah, and Canada always does too. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. I don't know. Hmm. I'm all for it, but... Yeah, man. Why not? Well... I mean, what do we have to lose? You know, it's like, or we don't, and we continue on with... (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Powered through, you know, letting the brain do stuff that it can't possibly do well. Well... Maybe it'll be interesting to see where we're at with heart practice in a year on this podcast, yeah, right? Well, yeah, well, and I suspect we'll come back to this topic a couple of times. You know, we'll, we, I mean, we come back to this once in a while. This topic it might be all we talk it, about in some ways. It's all right. It's the head, right. the heart, the brain. Head, the heart, the brain. And yeah, they're hard to, it sounds like juggling mm-hmm. because it's juggling. And each one of them asks for something different from us, and each one of them asks for time, and each one of them asks for something. Yeah. If it feels very Wizard of Oz. It does. (laughs) It really does. Awesome. Awesome. May we find the man behind the curtain. May we find the man behind the curtain. I'm not sure what the takeaway is for homework for this one. Uh, Yeah, what what does your heart want to do? You know, and you're such you, a professor. You want to give our listeners homework it. every time. But it's hard. It's it's not homework. It's hard work. Hard work. Oh, <laughs> you're gonna work hard at this. Hmm. Oh, you can do any kind of stuff with this. It's gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be great. Cool. It's gonna be really annoying. Is what it's gonna be. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thanks, Sharon. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Awesome. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Thanks Bye for listening. Bye bye. The 
This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Paul and Sherry have a podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast, yes. Yes.